Welcome back to this special edition of Virtual Clear Talk. Today's episode, we're going to cover how to sell high ticket coaching and handle objections around COVID right now. And then we discuss how to keep your audience engaged even on multi-hour Zoom calls. And lastly, what the difference is between high ticket versus low ticket clients and who you should be working with. By the way, let us know down in the comments below what's your number one takeaway from today's episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Clear Talk. I'm your host, Armin Chaffee, and this is my co-host. Jeanette Oduro. What's up, everybody? We're doing a special version of Clear Talk as we're all at home today because of our uh, where we're at. We're in gray zone. we got to be in lockdown. So uh, this is the number one show for coaches and entrepreneurs who need clarity in their life, their mindset, and their business. And so the big question is, how do coaches like us who started with nothing and built, put everything on the line and risked everything to build a business around helping others, how do we scale our business, get clients consistently, but still make a difference in the world as we do this? That's the big question. And this show gives you the answers. So as you guys can tell on Facebook Live right now, I'm looking down because I'm adding everybody to the clubhouse room. And if you're in clubhouse, um, I'm going to give you some quick context to how this is going to work. This is our first time doing a live clubhouse uh, meeting room while I'm on a Facebook Live in my high ticket coaching community while we post this on YouTube as well. So there's like a quadruple dip of repurposing right now. So if you're in clubhouse, um, if you have a question, just simply raise your hand um, and I'll bring you on as soon as we have the questions in Facebook Live answered as well. So essentially, you guys can ask anything you want around building a coaching business online or really about thinking, processing and leadership, anything that helps you get ahead in your business or in your life. So that's how that's going to work. So I hope you guys enjoy the show in Clubhouse. It's my first time doing this. So excited to see how this goes. Jay, how are you? I'm amazing, Armin. Thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. I just got back from Nashville, uh, attending an elite uh, mastermind meeting. So I'm also in quarantine for about the next two weeks, which I'm happy about. It's cool. I get to focus. Um, So yeah. So um, essentially how this works is simple. We're going to ask questions. As you guys know, on my, on my people who already watch the show, uh, generally you guys, we're going to answer your questions um, that you have. And if you want your questions answered on the show live, you can go to askarmin.com and simply submit your question and we'll put it in queue and answer it every time we go live. Now, if you're on YouTube right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and that little notification bell so that you can get notified every time we drop a new video every week. We drop multiple a week around how, how to build a thriving, successful coaching business online. Uh, and if you're on Facebook, you know, hit that like button, drop a comment down below. Let us know what your biggest takeaway from the show has been so far as we go through it. So, uh, Jay, let's uh, let's just hop into we're questions. Simple. Oh, we're live here too. I'm checking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm looking at Facebook. Uh oh, what happened? Okay, our, our sound guy. All right, let's do it. <laughs> let's, uh, okay, awesome. Let's- yeah. Question number one: Making sales seems to be more of a difficult process with COVID. I empathize with what everyone is going through, and I'm having a hard time closing on my price point when we get talking, and either charge less or don't close at all. How can I deal with this, Leslie R? 
All right, Leslie, good question. And so right? the question one more time. we're getting started. We're getting started. Repeat the okay. question one more Maybe. time. I want to make sure everyone also understands uh, the yeah. question. It's actually a really good question. Yeah, I'll ask again. No worries. Making sales seems to be more of a difficult process with COVID. I empathize with what everyone is going through, and I'm having a hard time closing on my price point when we get talking, and I either charge less or I don't close at all. How can I deal with this? That's from Leslie. Yeah, so my, my initial response is don't get your emotions involved in sales. Okay. Um, yeah, like sales is not about it's not about you getting emotionally involved with your prospect, right? That's a that's an unprofessional thing to do, first of all. Second of all, it doesn't make anything better for either one of you. So I know a part of your current saying, like, oh well, if, if what is what does that sound? Is that you, Jay? Is that your background? Just meet yourself. <laughs> This is really what it feels to my do a family show, right? embarrassing me. My dad is apparent attempting to take a shower, I guess. But okay, you know, this is this is the live from home work from home experience. Let me mute myself. Yeah, yeah, mute yourself. You're not talking. Don't worry, I got a train that crosses by my condo, so uh, so I'm muting myself during that time too. Okay, so so yeah, so I understand a part of our conscious as humans, we're like, man, we want to help others, right? But see, there's a problem. There's a misdiagnosis of a, of a belief here, which is, Leslie, you probably think that charging more makes you a bad person. And then you're adding on top of that, the stacking of like, well, everyone's going through bad times right now, which again, if we look very closely, is not true, right? A lot of people are doing a lot better because of COVID, because they've got more focus. They um, lost something and gained something better right? They learn to value their time more. There's a lot of good things happening. So what we're really doing is this is just a, a mismanagement of our own emotions. Okay. So I'm going to talk, there's no real, like I can give you tactics on how to handle a sales call with a COVID objection, but a COVID objection is no different than any other objection. Okay. Like someone gets on like, Oh, COVID's happening. I lost my job. I lost this, whatever it is. Right. Depending on your offer, I guess this depends, it changes, but that's no different than someone getting on and saying, I just went through a divorce or I just lost my house. I just, like, it's not COVID. COVID is not, doesn't create, like a lot of people in sales or in business are going to think COVID is a very special situation. A pandemic is very special. Yeah, just just because this happened for the first time ever, it doesn't mean it makes it any different than a normal objection. So how do you handle any objection, right? We have to understand what an objection is. An objection is a sign of uncertainty. So when you're when you're offering something to somebody and they come up with an objection, there's two types, right? There's the fake objection, there's a real objection. A fake objection is like something that's universally said, like I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have uh, the know-how, I don't have something. This is all these are fake objections because it's a filler for what they actually feel. It doesn't mean they're lying, but this is where the the concept buyers are liars come from. Because they're, they're, they, they either don't know how to get to the source of their actual uncertainty or they are, but they don't want to tell you because they're afraid to just be honest about what they're really uncertain about, okay? Like they just might not trust you and you don't even know it, but they'll tell you, well, I just, I'm going to think about it. So, so these are what we call surface level objections. We call them fake objections, right? Because they're not real. And a good salesperson or a good business person will listen to that and go, okay, so there's something underneath this I have to figure out. Now, a real objection is when something is like it's a buying question, right? Like they go like, well, I'm getting paid next week. Can I start then? See, that's not saying I don't want to do this. They're just saying circumstantially, I, I can't start right now. I can start then. And so in that case, it's not an objection. More so, it's just you figure it out with them. Does that make sense? 
So all forms of objections are usually around some form of uncertainty, like the fake ones, which is the ones you got to get through. So there's three things that can be uncertain about. First is about you, right? It's like, maybe they're just concerned about you. They don't trust you. That's another, that's a whole nother thing. You have to, you have to create rapport with them in that sense. They don't know you. The other one is they might not be you. They just might not trust your product. Like if they're, what they're paying for, if it's going to work out, they might not know. And so they're going to, they're going to stall because they don't want to make a decision because they don't know if what they're about to pay for is going to be worth it. Right. And the other one is not trusting themselves. And this is a newer one, right? Because in the world we're in today, a lot of people have created inferiority complexes inside of their mind. They're insecure. And so, and they don't know how to handle it. They don't even know it's an insecurity. And so what happens is they start doubting themselves. It's not even about you. It's not about the program. It's about them. So they go, yeah, this all works, but I've failed three times in the past. What if I fail again? And so this is where you get into coach phase essentially, because on a call, you want to help them see why it's, it's going to be okay. You know, why if they do do this, they can figure out this time and, and, and settle that uncertainty they have. So uh, my, my, my generic, my, my ultimate answer to this question is that, first of all, COVID is not a, a special case objection. It's just another objection. It's another reason to have, be uncertain about doing something. And you charging money during a pandemic or charging less or more doesn't mean anything about your integrity or your morality or has nothing to do with ethics. Um, so the, the, the misconception is like, you might think, oh, if I charge less, I'm a good person. No. That's, that has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. And so not only do they have less commitment because they've now also been taught based on how you handle this, that, oh, they have some right of having it easier because something bad is happening. Well, then what are you going to say to the person who just got out of a divorce or went into a car accident? You go, I mean, that's a little cold. It's not. It's your perception is, is off. You're not hurting a person just because you're charging money for something that's going to change your life. You're hurting them if you let them think that because they've gone through something wrong, so that things should be easier for them. No. Problems are opportunities to learn and grow. And so you have to leverage the fact that they're in a bad place as more of a motivation to why they should do this then. So when someone gets on a call, I'm like, I, obviously, we get on a lot of strategy sessions in my business. Now my team takes care of them. But even when I took them or I follow up with someone to save the sale, I always, like, I always get on and everybody has some form of the same story. Oh, all this shit has happened to me. I'm in a very bad place. And all I could do is this, right? It's like, it's almost like the same exact thing every time. This stuff happened to me. So everyone has their own version of this bad thing happened to me recently. Okay. I'm, I'm struggling and this is all I can do. And I go, yeah, well, I mean, let me ask you a question. You know, and for me, it's obviously a business offer, right? Like my program is about building your business and making money. So it's different if you're doing something that's more personal based, like personal coaching, or it's not about making money. It's, it's arguably easier for you because money is a very cheap thing people want to make, but confidence or marriage being saved or, or spiritual uh, connection, those are way more priceless than making money. So it should be easier for you to do it. But I always ask this question. I'm like, well, isn't that why we're here in the first place? Because you want to fix this? Like, how does me giving you a discount or letting you start for a dollar today? Because most people are like, oh, can I pay 50 bucks and start? You know, I'm like, no, because what you're teaching yourself is flawed. It's wrong. It's not going to serve you in life to think that just because you're struggling, life should become easier. No, you have to become better. Ooh. And then, then they, now it's turning into a coaching call, you know, a therapy call. It's not a sales call anymore because now they're being challenged. And that's what a good coach does. But like, look. I'm not going to make this easier for you. 
I've already made it easier by making a program like this for you to be able to take. But you got to understand, you got to step up now more than ever. See, most people, eight out of 10 times, and I've done enough sales calls to know this now, eight out of 10 times, people actually have the money sitting somewhere, but they're just so afraid to let it go. They're just so afraid to give it to you. And so they're going to come up with all types of objections and reasons to why you should do something for them as a favor. But it's like, you got to ask yourself as a person, when we talk about morality, it's like, what is good for the person overall? Looking back and saying, I got a hand, I got a handout or I got help. Like I got that little, like, I got a discount because I, because I displayed my suffering to somebody and that's what they learned. We're looking back and going, man, I was scared shitless, but I ended up jumping into this thing anyways. And it worked out which lesson serves the person better, the prospect. So it's completely a, a lie. If you tell yourself that because you charge your full price or whatever it is, or even a high price is a bad thing to the person. That's your insecurity coming into the sale it has nothing to do with the prospect. Because if you genuinely believe in what you do and you know it's going to help them, they're going, you're like, you're going to help them and you're not going to hesitate, which is very, very important to understand. Um, so, so my tactic, my philosophical answer is like, this is not a real objection and you can't get your emotions involved because you feel bad just because someone is having a bad time. Doesn't mean you got to take that and go, Oh my God, I feel bad too. You don't do that. That's the point. You have to not be affected by their situation. That's what makes you a, co and a good coach and a good salesperson. You don't get affected. You don't get emotional about it. And the second, my tactical answer to this is you handle it just like any other objection, which is great. Well, that's why we got to do this more. And uh, you can't ask for things to become easier. You got to become better. Oh, I'm doing my best though, Armin. I'm, I'm being better. I'm like, great. So let's do this. Because the only reason why they wouldn't is just fear. But isn't that why they're there in the first place is what you got to ask them. Don't you want to get rid of the fear? Or do you want to stay with the fear by letting me succumb to where you're at? Why don't you level up and come to where I'm at? So it's, it's really about that. Those are my, those are really my two best versions of an answer to that. So. Good answer. It's a very, very good answer. All right. Question number two, how do you keep your clients engaged while we have to continue to keep things online? I'm no stranger to zoom, et cetera, but it feels like things are getting routine and boring without us being able to meet in person or have the frills of my in-person sessions and events. That question is from Susan Gilbert. So, yeah, once again, like um, the only reason why it's starting to get boring is because you're starting to think it's boring. And so you're probably coming off that way. I was at, I was listening. I was in a room with multimillionaires over the last couple of days. And I heard this one, one speaker say something I'm like this is deep. He goes, a lot of people pay a lot of money to get into a room thinking they're going to, they need more help with getting more systems, more marketing systems, more sales systems, more operational systems, just systems and processes. And he goes, but what they don't really realize and what you don't realize is that the only system that needs to be upgraded for you to get to the next level is your belief system. And he said this, I'm like, Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. It's like so true. Because even if you have the best tactics and strategies and systems in the world, if your belief system is crap or it's still level one, you'll never get to the next level. So I'm pre-framing that by saying, I want to respond first by saying, you have to not believe that just because you're not in person, that it's boring. Because they're just going to mirror you, right? Give me a second. 
I don't know who's trying to call me during FaceTime right now. Trying this. Um, so you have to not believe that. Um, you have to first stop believing that it's boring, right? Because like me and my team, we work virtual like a lot, actually. We do a lot of virtual. All my coaching calls are virtual. Like, and nobody has a bad time because I have a great time. I bring the fun, you know? So, so I start with what I want to see in others and myself first. So that's the first thing I would say, hundred percent. Like if you're coming, if you're trying to get like a tactic or a, a method of how to get more, like nothing's going to do better than you changing your belief system about this virtual thing, right? So, uh, Jay, one more time, just repeat the question. I want to make sure I know exactly what they're asking. So I know. Yeah, for sure. How do you keep your clients engaged while we have to continue to keep things online? I'm no stranger to Zoom, but it feels like things are getting routine and boring without us being able to meet in person or have the frills of my in-person uh, sessions and events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't even hear the last part, which is, you know, if you guys didn't know, like I ran events, like three-day seminars and all that. So definitely it's been a huge shock for us to go from literally all of our income coming from doing live fun events to online. Now, look, here's the thing. Nothing's going to compete with that. Let me just say that right now. Like nothing's going to compete with uh, running an event and meeting people in person. However, it doesn't mean that online is routine and boring. That means you're making online routine and boring. So you have to, first of all, think like, man, online is just as much as fun or it's going to be almost as fun. Number one. Number two, how are you showing up in the sessions, right? Because here's the cool thing. In an event, other people can make it fun for, for others, in an event, you could put on music. There's a lot of frills, like you said, you could put on to make it more fun. But when you strip all that away and go online, it really comes down to how fun are you? So it's kind of like a wake-up call. It's like a mirror to be like, how fun am I really? If I took away all the stuff, if I took away all the music, all the people, would someone want to be coached by me if it was just me and my personality? And so this is an opportunity for you to level up, like how you show up. Are you engaging without all the frills? And here's something I learned with my team. I'm pretty damn engaging, even without all the frills. I'm pretty damn engaging. I've gone on our coaching calls. We're having fun. I'm playing music in the beginning. I'm having a lot of fun. We're at, we're making jokes. Like it's really fun. And so it's it was just a net opportunity for me to upgrade like my how I show up as a coach in engagement. So this is probably an opportunity for you. There's no like one way answer of me telling you what to do on call. Like, sure, you can add music in or you can tell them to do exercises with you or I don't know. Like it's but it depends on your personality, what you're selling, who your clients are, what they do. My point is, this is an opportunity for you to upgrade your belief system about you, no matter what what context you're being coached, uh, coaching in. So you don't need a live event to create the personal the touch. I'm not saying that's going to ever replace it won't, but you can get really close. You can get really close. My entire team right now, we work virtually, right? And we still have our morning calls. We do a lot of good stuff. And it's still fun because our personalities is what makes it engaging. So I would upgrade the personality if that's something. If you're like, Armin, I'm the most personable person in the world. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, in that case, I would say, so why is this a problem? Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe you're just making up a problem out of thin air, like Houdini, you know, just whew, brings it out of thin air. Like, look at this problem I found. <laughs> like, no. You don't have to create problems if there's no problems. If you feel bored, it's different. So do something to make yourself feel engaged, right? And as your clients told you, that's another thing. Have your clients told you they're, they're, it's routine and boring? Or do you think, again, if you think that it's your belief system getting in the way? Yeah. 
Super important, super, super important uh, answer there. And and uh, Susan, I want to I want to bring your attention to even when we were doing live events, because as Armin said, like we were we were only doing events about a year ago, right before keep before COVID was a thing, and it was like in our last couple of events, we were like, wait, because Armin Armin's a he's a frills kind of guy, Susan. If you feel like you're you're frilly, Armin's all the frills, really. All the, all the stuff, <laughs> all the stuff in the events, right? So we, in our very last, I believe it was our very last ESSA, we were like, okay, we're not going to do any of the frills. You know, we're going to bring it way down and just make it super low key. And what yeah. we realized is that none of those frills even freaking mattered because it was the same powerful weekend that it would have been without the lights, without the DJ, without the extracurricular activities. My dad calls them that whenever you add something extra, he calls them extracurricular activities, but yeah. And what's something that you'll realize as you go online as well, Susan, is, you know, maybe you'll it is genuinely just your belief system. You think that the clients need it or that they want it or whatever that may be, but give it a try. Obviously you've been doing it, but give it a try to, throw something else into the equation or, or change something else up, or even just ask them like, Hey guys, what would you like to see? But, but it's your moment and it's your opportunity to get creative here because yeah, absolutely. It could be definitely your belief system. That's making you feel like, wow, this is the way it has to be because you know, this is the way I've done it before. Or this is what people, this is what it seems like people are drawn to based on past events or, or what I've done before in the past or whatever that may be. Right. So definitely Susan, take a, take a look in the mirror Add some new things, or maybe no frills at all. Maybe just come and show up as you are and see how much your clients love it just as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge. It's going to be an opportunity for you to grow as a coach. What's awesome. the next question? Question number three drop a fire. Drop a fire. <laughs> drop a fire emoji in the chat. This is, a, this is such a weird uh, clear talk. Just yeah. On my like, couch. We're just rolling with it. Just roll with it. It's good. I like you. Keep going. What's the next question? Okay. Awesome. The next question is from our very own Isaiah Mensa. He says, is it a myth that the quality of clients changes when you charge high ticket? Um, no, no, it's not a myth. It's real. Um, yeah, you just gotta like, look at, like, look at how e-commerce works, right? Like not e-commerce commerce, right? Like you won't find the same person at a Louis Vuitton store that you would at Walmart, you don't. I'm not saying the same person can't go to both. Like, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you just won't. Generally, uh, income brackets um, separate types of people. Now, it's very that could get very touchy, very sensitive. It could get very political. Um, I'm not trying to get involved with that. I'm just trying to make a, a factual point. Factual is not a word, right? We made it a word once upon a time. I'm just trying Who to – is it? Okay, I don't know. I'm just trying to state like just common sense and observation, which is someone who is going to buy a Ferrari is usually not going to be in the same place as someone who just buys a Toyota. Like it just, it it is, that is a thing. If we all look outside, I'm not making an opinion, but if you look outside, it's usually the common thing. Um, and so by what means this causes this, who knows? I mean, it's a mystery to me still. I'm trying to still learn um, there's so much of the human mind and human nature and behavior I'm, I'm still studying. So I can't tell you I've come to any conclusions, but I've just generally found out there's a pattern between people at different income levels. Like money does play a huge role in the person and who they hang out with and what kind of people they are. 
So when you talk about selling a $500 thing as a coach versus a 5,000 versus a 50,000, and I've sold all three of those levels of programs, um, it definitely attracts different people. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, they say the myth, quote unquote, but I've like kind of validated this with my experience is the lower you go in price, the more person is needy. Now, this is not that they're bad people. It just means there are different phases, right? They're in different stages of mindset. And so that mindset, that phase of mindset creates different needs and different thought process, different beliefs, which creates a different personality of, of person you're working with. So I realized that the cheaper you go in pricing, so let's say you go two grand, one grand, 500, 100, um, the more a person needs handholding, the more a person needs uh, is needy in general, just needs because they, they're in a place where if that's all they can afford, I'm not saying if you sell a cheap thing to a person who has money because then that doesn't count. It's if the income bracket does not allow a person to buy something more than $500 to $1,000 or $2,000, which is still a little ticket to me. What happens is they just have more fear where they're coming from, more uncertainty, right? And so they require more, more attention, more help, more this, more that. Um, there's more hesitation. They're generally, I've, I've noticed, I'm not saying this is the conclusion of everyone. I'm saying I've noticed generally the lower in price of a client paying to start. Um, they also are less coachable because they're still in a mindset of fear and coming out of poverty or coming out of where they're at. So they're just more closed-minded. It's just because their environment probably sucks. Because again, the person who's shopping somewhere and shopping somewhere, they probably don't hang out with each other. So they're probably surrounded with people even more poor than them or dealing with more stress in life. And so their mind is filled with more gunk. It becomes harder to coach them. They're less teachable. But the higher in price I've seen that I've noticed have gone not only is it uh, easier to close because at that price point, if they bought things like that before, if it's not their first, it's another big thing. Because if it's their first time buying something expensive, they'll also still act like the person at $1,000, okay? But if it's like two or three times, like I just, like I said, at the beginning of this month, I dropped like 40 grand on another mastermind. And the call was like 20 minutes. And I just said, bro, I'm in, just tell me how to pay. So it's like, I became that high ticket client. But my first time I was shaking. First time I bought a $40,000 mastermind, I was shaking. Right. I still jumped in because I bought expensive things before. First ever, ever time um, I paid something high. I think it was like five grand. It was like four or five years ago. Um, actually, I can't lie. I jumped in pretty stupid as well. Like I was a risk taker. But still, I was just a whole different person. I was like expecting the world for that $5,000. I mean, this person better build this thing for me. And so, but the higher I go, and I made a post on this on my Facebook. You guys should check it out about how I'm sitting in a room with millionaires and I'm shocked. I'm, I'm in a room with people making anywhere from 30 to $300,000 a month um, and, uh, or a million a month. And I'm sitting in the room like nobody's needy, like nobody needs anything. And they've all paid the same amount of money to be in there than me, or, or anywhere from 30 or 50 grand because there's two levels of it. I'm like nobody here is asking for step-by-step -step instructions. No one here is hoping for details and the how-tos. They, they all have the confidence they know what to do. And they're just looking for high level strategy. So a simple one or two word sentence answer was enough for them to be like, okay, I got it. And they walk away. And I, and I remember watching, I'm like, man, do I still, still got a poor habit to me? I do. Because I was saying, they're hoping that they'll give me like spread, like all this detailed stuff because I paid so much. And I realized, man, that's how people that think in a lower income bracket think like, like, give me the world because I paid you, you owe me down. Um, wow. But I'm realizing that more in, higher income you go, the person just less needy, more self 
self-confident and just figures it out. And really they just value the smallest little thing. They value it times a hundred. Whereas the person who's um, paying cheaper prices will take a hundred things and value it as a little thing. And it's just interesting, man. I don't, I don't know why yet, but I've just seen the pattern in it. So, so it's not a myth. It definitely the higher income bracket, uh, income, like price you charge, hoping you'll attract a higher income person. Cause if you attract a low income person who <laughs> remortgages their house to pay you 10 grand, that doesn't count. It's not a different person. They're still in that mindset. So really the myth is more based around, or that idea is more based around a higher income client. So I've sold, for example, I've sold $10,000 programs before, and I've sold it to people who that was the only 10,000 and a half. And I've sold it to people who make that in a week or a day. And what I found was it's not the price that was the determining factor of the person. It was their income bracket. So if the person was their only 10 grand, they were like afraid, they were hesitant, and rightfully so. I mean, they're going all in, right? But I've had like 15-minute sales calls where someone just like gets on, they've already made a few million dollars. And I'm like, yeah, it's 10 grand. But like, cool, how do I pay? Like it's like, boom, straight. So so really it's, it's, it's about when we talk about the myth of like, you know, uh, if you charge higher, does it attract different people um, or is it a myth? You know, um, it's not a myth. It's real. So the more, more in, uh, hoping that you have a higher price, it'll attract higher thinking, like higher income people, which have gone through more. But if you attract a person who's never done that before, you'll just still get the same amount of friction. It doesn't matter what you charge. And that's why even in my program, I talk about like anything past three grand is going to feel the same amount of expensive to a, a person who's still poor. What, what I mean by that is like if they don't make, if they can afford anything over three grand, you think 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 or 20,000 is all going to feel the same to them. Because regardless, their income bracket is at a higher, like it's at a lower place. They're in the beginning phases and they still have uncertainty in themselves and the process and they lack that. So they have fear. But a person, the higher income you go in terms of person you attract, hopefully the, the point is if you charge a higher price and your reputation's there, you only attract people who can afford it if you're targeting your marketing is that way. Okay. So that's the hope. But if you get a, a person who hasn't done that before coming in, you charge a higher price, you'll get the same thing. But if you charge like, let's say 10 or 15 people know that. So the people that show up have hopefully have a background experience in having invested that kind of money before. And so they're just going to be easier to work with. They're going to have less expectations, less needs because they don't, they've developed the habit of self-reliance. And so you don't have to keep comforting them. Like I said, the, the generic pattern I've seen is that the lower charge uh, price you go, lower price you go in charging, the lower income bracket you attract and the higher maintenance they are because they, they don't have a habit of self-reliance and self-confidence yet. But that's exactly why they're there. But the higher price you charge hopefully attracts a higher income person, which has gone through the shitter of developing the habits of belief in themselves and don't need high maintenance because they know even if you give them one thing, they'll turn into 10 things. But give a person who's still in a poor place and still fear mindset 10 things, they'll fucking dilute it to one thing and, and even complain about that. I hope that answers your question. Hey, guys, wow, is, there anything on, um, is there anything on Clubhouse right now? Um, no, we just got people listening in. Sharez is j just came in as well. What's up, brother? If you have questions, let me know. Just raise your hand. We're also taking live questions on Facebook Live in my high ticket coaching community right now. So, um, yeah, that's it. What's the next question? Next question is Is there ever too much sharing on social media? 
I want to be open and transparent with my followers about issues and struggles, but I don't want to lose credibility. That question is from Marissa T. Hold on, before we answer this, Jay, I'm curious, do you have anything to say about the price thing? The 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 myth of the high ticket, low ticket? Because you recently invested as well, high ticket into yeah. a coaching program. So, so I, I'm curious to see like what, you, what your thoughts on that is before we talk about the social media thing. Okay, sure. Um, honestly, I... <laughs> it's funny enough because like when you're in these circles of, you know, coaching or high investments, you know, money gets thrown around a lot. So at some point you kind of get desensitized to it, but when it's your own money, it's always, it's always like, Oh, like there's always that feeling of like, Oh, is this, is this it? Like, am I really going to do it? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the school of thought that obviously, like Armin said, like once you invest once in a high ticket coaching program, you're more open to investing into something else in the future. Right. It's, it's talk, it's all about like your own belief system that it boils down to ultimately. And, you know, the very first one is scary. It's always scary. And that's like, we're talking like, I guess, I guess in our, in our, in our community, we say 3k plus, right. So over 3K, you're like, ooh, it's a little, it's a little nerve-wracking. Under that, I just, it's like, it just is what it is. If you, I, we've already talked about this in the past, right? Like when you're in the realm of sales, or if you're a salesperson, or you know, you've got some sales history, or at least for myself, I would say that I was, I was always ready to make a purchase when I was speaking to a good salesperson. Like I was always, I was always both, you know, it was kind of like like respecting the game, quote unquote, if you will. And like, if I'm in a conversation with a good salesperson, I'm like, yeah, man, I should just buy this because you're good. And I respect the game. But ultimately, uh, in addition to that, like purchasing a high ticket program really, really, really is about what you want to do with it. And I, and I feel like I've said this on previous shows, every single time I ever think about money that is going into building myself up, it's an investment. And I'm willing to invest no matter no matter what it takes, no matter what I have to do to make it happen. But that's just me as an individual, right? I can't, I can't say that, that that's the same for everybody else. So if you know, if you know, and you're thinking of it like that, like any money that goes towards my per, my professional or my personal development is an investment. I, I would say that those decisions should be much easier for you to make in the future because you know, it's for you who bet who more in the world is deserving of these things. If not you, if not for your own your own growth, your own development, for what you want to do next in the world. Like, who are you spending money on if it's not for yourself, right? And for me personally, like a 10K program or whatever, 5K to 10K, 15, I haven't, I haven't, I would say I've never made a 15, 20K purchase. So I can't, I'm not, I'm not up there quite yet. You know, that's, that's a little outside of my, uh, my, uh, let's say my, my reality right now. Um, you know, that's Armin's, that's Armin's realm for sure. You know, I haven't gone past 15, I would say. So you've maybe when I, pardon? You've invested up to 15. Yeah. Like in one program, in a singular thing for my entire, let's say, uh, professional history. Definitely, definitely maybe. <sighs> We're probably between like 30 to 50 K right now so far, if I'm counting like the whole journey. So yeah. I've, if we're compounding, that's a different story, but I'm talking about in a singular program, like on the phone, here's the thing, whatever. So 
you know, I, I see, I see me as the most important investment that I'll ever make in my entire life. So I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to do it. But if there, but he's absolutely right. The very first one, you're still going to be nervous. You're still like, Oh my God, my hard earned money. What the hell? But, (laughs) but if you are thinking and, you know, in the mindset of this is for me, everything is working for me. If I make this investment, it's for me. And you, you factor all of the, all of the sales into the equation. Like, does this product, does this product make sense for me? Is it going to benefit me? And you go through all of those, let's say pros and cons, then it's just a decision away. Right. you got to, I, for me, it's like, who genuinely like who else would you be spending money on this kind of money? It's you. It's always you. It's for you. It's for your growth. It's for your future. It's for your development. Right. So I'm not scared, but that's just me yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's There's two ways to go about this whole like money thing. And money's such a touchy subject, right? It is. And on both sides, on the side of spending it, on the side of charging it, yeah, I'll be honest, man. There's two ways. I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm like, there's two ways to go about something like this. One way is to try to succumb to everyone's fears and insecurities and try to make it feel better. And like, it's okay. We should all be nicer salespeople. We should all give discounts. We should all like help each other stay, you know, poor. Or, um, and that's how I look at it. And, or the other way is just to man up, woman up, step up and go, no, I don't want to fucking tolerate this. I don't, I don't yeah. want want to, I don't want to have to worry about $2,000 purchase. I don't. And so, and that's harder to do because there are more people still living in fear of poverty that are so afraid of changing that they'll, they'll scold you for even taking the initiative to say, no, screw this. Let's not tolerate poverty because money isn't, isn't the enemy. A lack of money is. So when when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, actually, I could try to comfort people because they're poor. Yeah. You know, and poor is like, I'm speaking this like without any political offense. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying it in a politically correct way. I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not, but I'm, what I'm really saying when I say poor is like, you are not making a certain level of income. Like that, I'm not, and I don't mean that in it's like an offensive way. I'm trying to say that out of love. Like I was poor myself, you know, arguably for a very, very long time. You know, I like my max amount of income in a year was like 18 grand, you know, like, and that, that was majority of my life. And I grew up in a family that struggled over paying bills. Like that's all I like, I'm coming from that place myself. So when I say it, I say it without like making it personal, really, I'm just saying by the fact of your income level is lower at a certain place. Now that's being poor is one thing. Being broke is another. So I guess what I'm saying is broke actually. Uh, yeah. Because broke is not having money. And that's like, that's not offensive. It's just, we understand if we don't have money in the bank, we're broke. But poor is a thinking, it's a mindset. So I'm going I'm to flip this around. Poor is a mindset. Being poor is a thinking strategy. Like you can have a lot of money in your bank, still feel poor, still be poor. So poor is really, poverty is really the enemy. Not It's not not having money. It's about feeling poor. And so if you try to sell when you feel poor or you have a poor mindset, it's going to be tough because you're approaching things from uh, a fear place, not a faith place. So my mindset thing is there's two ways to look at it. One is just try to succumb and like make everyone feel good about, you know, uh, oh, it's okay if you don't have money, if you're broke, it's okay. Life is hard. Or we could just say, no, uh, let's get our ass up and work. Right. And so when I think long-term in leadership, I go, well, what's better for the world? What's better for people? Even though it's harder to do up front, what's better? And it's always to, to not tolerate poverty, 
right? Not tolerate it. Breaking free from the fear, not trying to justify it. Does that make sense? So yeah, yeah, that's really my like. Yeah, the fastest way to do it, by the way, is to spend a lot of money. Not on stupid shit. I mean, investing it in yourself. The fastest way to do it is invest all the money you possibly can in yourself. Go buy the most expensive coaching or course or training program you possibly can that will develop you. I'm not saying like buying an expensive car is not going to get you out of poverty thinking. No, it's not. Investing in yourself. So at least that's how I did it. You know, I I dropped five grand my first ever coach and I dropped uh, like 15 grand in another program after that. I kept just dropping money, just investing, investing, investing. I'm probably up to upwards of 200 grand at this point or more in, in, in the last three, four years. Um, and it's paid off. It's paid dividends. You know, I have four or five X that, that, that investment by developing the skill myself to do more things. Um, yeah, man. So like, I, I'm like, you know, I think I read this somewhere, like poor people save rich people invest. Uh, maybe that's oversimplified, but I understand from the context of if you only constantly thinking about budgeting and saving, not that that's not important, that's important, but I'm saying if that's all you, if that's your primary focus, that's all you'll ever do. But if you're actually always investing and reinvesting in yourself, then it's a never ending vessel of growth. So you make more money in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the way that I, I've grown to think of it as well. It's like the more that I invest into myself, it's like a, it's a micro example of the invest of the of what I can give back into the world, right? You know, like I've been, if I've if I've invested fifty thousand, let's say, into personal development and courses, things like that, then that should be multiple multiplied when I bring it back into the world again, yeah. right? And in addition to that, it's it's so funny that you you in your earlier argument, I just started to think about you know the the argument as always about minimum wage, like if we should increase minimum wage and like what and a lot of people will argue, yeah, absolutely, let's increase minimum wage. But increasing minimum minimum wage also means we have to increase the cost of living, because when you make more money, you have to be able to spend more money to put more money back into the economy. It's just a natural way that it flows, right? So if we're all making more money, that means we should all be able to make bigger purchases. You know, we should all be able to grow and elevate and and open up to the realm of more abundance, more money. If we make yeah. more money, we should also be able to spend more money, right? And I think that's that's where people should bring more of their focus on and attention on in terms of this money conversation, right? If you have the opportunity yeah. to make more money, you also have the opportunity to spend more money. You know, it's a give and flow. I take from the economy, I give back to the economy. And that's how the circle, it hopefully expands in a way that is, you know, conducive to a great economic future. But you can't have one well, without the other. I mean, look, if most people are okay with minimum wage, most people, yeah. it's the few, right? On a grand scale, that'd be like thousands of people that are not. Most people don't want to do more. That's why 97% of the world are drifters. Nothing bad about it. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. obviously it'd be bad to like snap out of it, but to them, it's life. It's okay. Yeah. And I had to accept this a long time ago. I was trying to change everybody. And I realized everyone wants different things. Some person's actually really happy getting up, making 20 to 30 grand a year or, or a little bit more, um, showing up at a place where they have fun. They talk to coworkers, get some stuff done, leave. It's like the minimal way of living. And so there's less friction and less challenge and less discomfort because with growth comes discomfort. And so the very few, which might equate to thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, I'm saying in the grand scheme population, that are upset with it, the solution is not to increase the bar of minimum. 
It's to just not. Well, let me tell you something. Like, think about the <laughs> minimum wage by its own name, by its own nature, it's minimum, the, mi- the least bottom floor minimum of what you do. Sure. So it's like, why increase the minimum of when you could just aim for getting to your own maximum? And what I mean by that is finding a way to provide so much value in the company you work for that it doesn't apply to you what minimum wage is. So minimum wage is beneath you now. For the ones who are okay with it, we keep them there. It's fine. That's If they want more, they can have more. In most countries, yeah. especially on the side, we have no excuse to just take a more initiative to make more opportunity for ourselves. But if a person's upset with minimum wage, they should just find a way to go above it. It's By default, I'm saying it's the starting point of income, minimum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't become a minimum wage person. That's it. Like increase your value and skill in, in, in the marketplace. You will get above minimum wage anyway. So now it doesn't affect you or apply to you what minimum wage is. I'm not saying being an entrepreneur. Not everyone can be an entrepreneur. If everyone was a capitalist, obviously there'd be no workers. That's that's not what I'm talking about. There's a balance and a beauty in um, employee, employer. Like there's a balance in that. There's, there's wisdom behind that model. What I'm saying though is if a person doesn't want minimum wage, doesn't like uh-huh. it, they should change their opportunities. By okay, increasing I agree with that. Okay? Like, I'm not saying they should go out and try to change everybody's because they're assuming as well okay. the person working at the grocery store that doesn't give a shit, they also mm-hmm. care. They don't care. And that person getting an extra dollar an hour is not going to change their life because no matter what, they're minimum wage thinkers still. They don't care. They yeah. just want to get the get out of the way. I don't care. I have enough money to pay my bills. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And that, mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is like, we should we should stop trying to change other people. You know, it's going back to a very more wiser perspective. We should stop trying to change the world. Stop it. Like, what do you need to change? Can you add more value in the company? And if you can, you'll get paid more. So minimum wage doesn't matter to you anymore. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You created your own income, your own economy. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to do that. You can also be an entrepreneur. Add entrepreneurial value to a company you're in. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's. But now if you have aspirations to make a lot of money, okay, now go into capitalism. Learn how to build yeah. the system, man. Like, it's like we have to – there is enough. What I'm trying to say is there is enough for everyone and beyond. But the focus is that. off. You know what I mean? The focus Absolutely. is off. They're thinking, give me increased minimum wage with a minimum wage perspective though. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, – yeah. That's, maybe I get controversial, but I'm just trying to tip it on it. All right. Awesome. Next question was the social media one. Yes. Is there is there any uh, questions on Clubhouse? There's none on Facebook. No. Clubhouse is good too. They're listening. Okay, cool. You're just smiling down. Okay. No, I'm just, <laughs> talking about, I'm just responding to someone who's, who's taking a shot at my water bottle. You can't hate this water bottle, okay? This is a legit my water, water bottle. bottle. My water bottle is actually better than his. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Battle of the water bottles. Coach Kirsch would love that. Okay, anyways, next question. Is there ever too much sharing on social media? I want to be open and transparent with my followers about issues and struggles, but I don't want to lose credibility. And that's from Marissa. The answer is yes. There is such a line. There is such a thing as too much personal information online, okay? Or in general, I used to know a person that would literally go on Facebook Live and cry, talk about his like their their deepest, darkest things. I'm like, man, this is uncomfortable to watch. What in the world makes you think this is going to build rapport with an audience? Like, no. 
Okay. Let me give you, let me give you a um, public speaking, public speaking tip. I remember when I used to run seminars, it's no different. If you're on a stage, you're like technically online eyes are on you. Right. But it's actually way more intense. I remember one of my mentors told me, he's like, Armin, you never get emotional as a speaker. You know, he says, never, you never cry. Now I actually have cried in my events, but like not cried. <laughs> I've not cried. I've dropped a tear. And then I like, I like, and I continue. And that was just enough touch of, uh, of emotion to get everyone to cry themselves. And as I'm saying it's real, but like, I don't let it get out of hand. Here's the problem. The moment you cross the, the line of from like crying in strength or, or let's just say getting so emotional about something in strength and you cross the, the threshold to like, it looks like you still have that problem. Now you lose all authority. No one can uh, depend on you to figure something out because you're, you're like a victim. You're sitting there, you're all personal and you're uncomfortable. So now people in your audience are going to be like, maybe she needs help or he needs help. Like, let's, let's send them up with a coach. <laughs> so you can't, you can't get there and start talking about your personal shit. Like, no. Number one, it has to be relevant. So if it's not relevant, it's not going to help your brand in any way. It has to be relevant to what you do. Number two, if you get too personal where it's uncomfortable to listen, you'll get a lot of people leaving you. And that's not because, oh, it's, screw them. Whoever wants to be with me will. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. It's because you're being, it's a level of professionalism or a level of just awareness. Like not everyone needs to know what you did in your bedroom alone last night. Like no one cares. Like you have to understand it's not that serious. Okay. When we talk about emotion, you bring out the emotions that are relatable to an audience. Unrelatable is like so personal. It's uncomfortable to even talk about. So there definitely is a line you can cross of too personal, too much information. It doesn't matter. Even in my seminars, when I used to talk about clients I worked with that were like, that have been like sexually abused and like really deep, like very uncomfortable things, I would censor it. I wouldn't say, and this person was da, da, da. like, I don't even right now I'm censoring it. I wouldn't get that serious, like that personal and detailed. I would, I would vaguely explain it. Like, and they went through some stuff. So even when I talk on personal, like if I think it's too uncomfortable, I'll like censor it in a sense. So yeah, you can make people uncomfortable and that's, that's your fault, not theirs. That's definitely a, you know, um, and make sure it's relatable. Like, don't just share. It's not the you show. Just remember that. It's not the me show. It's about them. So only say what serves them. Hope that answers. Interesting. Interesting perspective. Do you want to take another? We're at one Oh five. Yeah, we started late. So, so we can go okay, cool. one more question or two. Okay, cool. So is there a concise way for me to put out content that my niche really wants to see? I feel like I'm guessing at what they want to hear. And that question is from Raina. Say one more time. I like to hear things twice. You're, <laughs> I feel like Jacob Tutu every time I have to repeat these. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Is there a concise way for me to put out content that my niche really wants to see? I feel like I'm guessing at what they want to hear. Of course, you asked them. That's my answer. <laughs> you ask them. What do you mean? You ask them. You make, it, asked, you make it sound so asked, simple, Arvin. Who asked this? Raina. Raina. Do you know Raina? Anyways. Um, you ask them. That's it. How do you ask them, Arvin? So 
So, by the way, I'm being distracted. I'm, I'm, I'm like talking to some of the audience members on my phone. <laughs> on Clubhouse? <laughs> yeah. Um, this person, I'm, I'm actually speaking to someone right now. She's watching probably right now laughing because uh, she's like throwing shots at me, throwing me. She's distracted. I'm going to put my phone away. You know who you are. Turn. Actually, oh, what am I doing? I'm on Clubhouse. Never mind. Yeah, I'm going to keep it open on Clubhouse because um, she's like throwing shots. We're laughing. Um, so um, I was listening. And, and and so I just want to make sure. I just realized sometimes people answer questions surface level, like not understanding something, and then they give a completely different answer than what was actually needed. That's why I like to hear more than once. So, um, so how we teach like serving an audience is called launch conversations. You ask a question where the answer is what you need to do something with. So if you want to know, like you could directly ask online, like, hey, if I went live about this, what would you want me to talk about? That's it. Like that's one way of obviously asking your niche what they want to hear. Another way is um, asking questions that make them bring out topics you could talk about. So like what's the three biggest challenges you face when trying to overcome procrastination, for example? And they'll give you all these topics. You know what to talk about now. So that's another way to do it as well. I mean, there's no, there's no more deeper into this. That's pretty simple. Just get out there and, and, and do it. You make it sound That's so simple. How, what if their audience doesn't respond? What do they do then? You keep doing it until they respond. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> God, you can't, you can't listen. There's a difference between something not working because the strategy doesn't work and a difference uh -huh. between you fucking doing it three times and thinking it doesn't work. Okay, go do it like 20 times and then tell me it didn't work. Any person who does launch conversations more than five or 10 times always gets a response. Ooh, okay, okay. true. All right, got it. And the last question that I've uh, queued up for today is actually kind of going hand in hand with the first one we answered. So there seems to be a heightened sense of uncertainty with COVID, the new lockdown, yeah. continued cases growing. With more concerns from people, I can tell my clients are anxious about it. How can I help calm them down? That question's from Jordan. You know what to do, repeat it one more time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there seems to be a heightened sense of uncertainty with COVID, the new lockdown, continued cases growing. With more concerns from people, I can tell my clients are anxious about it. How can I help calm them down? This obviously depends on like what your clients are hiring you for. If you're a dog walking coach, I don't think it's any of your business to try to calm them down about COVID. If you're a life coach and they specifically have you as the person to go to for stuff like this, then it's different. So I would need context about that. Um, because again, we have the tendency to create problems out of thin air, like thinking you need to, like if my clients have marriage problems, I'm not going to ask a question like, how do I help my clients who have marriage problems? I'm a fucking marketing coach in my program. It's none of my business, your marriage problems. So make sure first it's your business, number one. Number two, um, I'll give you an answer. If let's say they are there for that kind of coaching and that's it's your business, simple. Number one, you got to ask yourself, are you, are you calm about things? Okay. Just because you're a coach, we have a tendency as coaches – to put the onus on somebody else, on the clients, right? 
we go, well, I'm a coach. I have to tell others what to do and I have to help others do stuff. Um, when really it's like, but then you forget you have to also be doing it or else it's incongruent with, with what you're saying. So if, for example, my team and I have not been affected by COVID, like we've had COVID and we haven't been affected by COVID. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, but why? And I'll tell you why. When, when it happened, when the COVID came out that a year was ago, so good. Right? Um, when COVID came out a year ago, I didn't, it didn't phase me. My attitude was so concrete and strong. My team mirrored it in some sense. And they, they were listening. They're like, oh, like, okay, cool. If Armin's not worried, we're not worried. Now, I'm not sure if they consciously did that or unconsciously, but to some degree, I know I added to that level of certainty and confidence if it means going to be okay. Now, if I start fucking freaking out, if I'm saying, oh, my guys, the company's going to shut down. Oh, my God, everyone. <laughs> you know, if I start doing that, then obviously they're going to start freaking out to some degree. Now, bring me down my team. My team, everyone is like their own like version of like strong so even if I'm freaking out, they probably turn around like, Armin, you're okay, man. Stop it. Everything's going to be okay. I can just see like Lauren, Isaiah, you, Iman, just like, oh, it's all going to be okay if I'm freaking out. But, you know, that's a long process of environment where everybody just developed enough faith and trust in the process that it doesn't face them. So my first thing back to you would be um, to make sure you're handling it well. Because if you're not handling it well, you might be projecting your fears into your clients. And I think that they have a problem, but they don't. Right? You want you want to get into deep level like personal leadership coaching? Projection is a terrible habit. It's something you need to learn to become aware of. Is when you're projecting your crap onto others. And your 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 perception now skewed because you're you're seeing things through your lens and your lens is the messed up thing, not the person. So comforting your clients is in your job. Showing up as an example of what confidence during a pandemic looks like is your job. And whether or not they model you mirror you is not your business anymore. No, see, for example, I never worry about COVID or pandemic or the, the recessions that are happening. Like there's a lot of shit going on in the world. I never, ever display worry about it. Don't even talk about it. None of my clients, none of them have brought up a problem about COVID. None of them. I have dozens and dozens of coaches in my program that are actively building a business during this time. And I, I can't even remember one. Actually, I've never had a question on one of my coaching calls for the last year about COVID. No one's been like, well, you know, my sales are kind of dipped because of COVID. No, no one's like, oh, my ads aren't working because of COVID. Nobody has complained about COVID. That's when I think so about it right now, you oh know what I mean? Like, how come? Because I never think about it. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I have a figure it out attitude. And so, so do they. No, like, it's funny. Not only did they invest high ticket into my program during this time. Okay. But also they're charging high ticket during this time. And so nobody cares. Now, if I was worried, every every coach would call like, hey, guys, hey, or, or he even goes deeper. If inside my mind I'm worried, but I'm not showing it, it'll eventually find a way to showing it outside. Now they'll come on like, hey, this, this, like, what if that? And I'd be like, oh, my God. Now I'm like, I'm making fake because I haven't figured it out inside of me. So I don't know how to answer them. So I started becoming a fake coach. And I'm like telling them things that I don't even believe in to say face. So, so it starts with you. Okay. Number one. 
Number three, if you're, if let's say you're good, it's just, you really have people who are afraid in your program. Okay. So this is the last line of coaching I get. You have to develop the skill of persuasion to the point where you can help someone shift their perspectives when it's not serving them. You have to get really good at influencing a person to see things a different way. So this now is just an opportunity for you to upgrade your skill set in coaching. So when someone does come to you with fears and, and worries and all the stuff about this stuff happening, you have to develop your skill set of learning how to influence a person so that their ability to shift a perspective and, and think, oh, this is okay, changes. They can't do that. That means you got to get better at coaching. It's the very reason why they're here with you. What do we do other than help people see things differently? That's really what coaching is anyways. We just help people see things differently. Hmm? So that's really my answer. Those three, those three levels. Make sure it's your business before you start getting involved in their business. Make sure you're congruently inside of yourself okay with things before you ask someone to do something you're not doing. And make sure you you just develop the skill set to be able to influence a person. And if you don't know how to do that, I mean, that's all not the conversation. I'm going to teach you how to influence people. But uh, pick up a book, pick up a course, you know, and learn how to influence people. It, it's, a very, it's a very good skill to invest into. So. Wow. Great answer. Awesome. Well, we are at the one hour mark. Does anybody want to, uh, do you, do you have any other, uh, conversation contributions from clubhouse? The Facebook, Facebook is pretty uh, good there. Uh, anything else that you want to touch on and talk about Armin? So someone, uh, Naz is watching and, and I think she just said, did you just say you thought your way out of COVID? Okay, that just sounded like you had the illness and you positive thought. Yeah, so just to clear up, I got COVID. My team got COVID. What I'm saying is it didn't change. I, I definitely went through a low. I'm not going to lie. Like I went through like a slump. I was Netflix and chilling for half the time. And I was just, I felt like shit. Like it was terrible. Like the, the actual illness was three days. But the rest of the 10 days where I had to like stay in my bedroom was really tough. Um, but I'm saying I came out of it like I had the best month of my life after that. We had 50 grand in sales. And like my it was just beautiful. It's like a flip. It was like by the end of the month, it was like a whole different month than we started at. But what I'm saying is like even though we even got it, we didn't let it affect our mind. Um, in fact, here, let me read something real quick. I read this in my morning read. I'm reading out Winning the Devil again. It's probably like my fourth time reading this book. And um, it's just next level. Okay, next level. So I want to read something I read that that was really deep. That that explains what I'm talking about when I'm saying like you don't let things outside of you control inside of you. And this is a good way of explaining it. Hold on. Uh, okay, hold on a second. This is really deep. You guys will understand. trying to remember it was like something about a non-drifter or someone that doesn't get influenced is someone who has the ability to not allow the exterior circumstances their environment influence their internal environment um mm. but there's like this exact quote that i underlined uh, It's actually really deep. I was reading it over again. Man, where is it? 
Hit us with the knowledge. Hit us with the knowledge. Yeah, that's really good. Hold on a second. Okay, I don't. Uh, there's so many underlined stuff. So essentially, what I read though um, is like a strong mind is one that does not allow um, external factors to control their state of mind, and so the very mastery of uh, oh, I think I found it. No. Yeah, this is some deep stuff. So essentially, it's just it's just it's saying that like that there is a point in personal growth that you it doesn't matter what's happening around you, it never affects how you decide to show up. So whether you have a lot of money in the bank account or no money in the bank account, or you have harmony in your family life or your your relationship, or you don't have any harmony, or you know, like COVID's happening, it's not happening. It, none of these will matter. The the ultimate form of self mastery is creating an internal environment that's completely positive based on your own doings, without the influences of outside environment changing that. And the simpler way of saying it is like whether I have no money in my bank account or I have $100,000 sitting in there, virtually would not affect me. Because it doesn't change what I decide my state of mind to be. You know, and so it's a funny way to put this is sometimes when we, in the beginning when we were building our businesses and like we made a lot of money, I'd have like a 10,000 hour day or 20,000 hour day or whatever. And someone, someone would be like, how do you feel? I'd be like the same. What do you mean the same? Like felt just as good before the money and I do as I have it because making more money doesn't make me any different. And they just go, what? Right. So because here's the, here's the trick, right? If you can master that much discipline, that much self-control over your emotions so that it doesn't spike when you have a win. And when it, when you have a loss, it also doesn't spike downward. I think in one of my earliest clear talk episodes, like episode three or four, I said, I'm like, someone you think you can accept compliments and reject criticism. But the problem is accepting compliments opens your mind to accepting criticism. Remember that episode, Jay? I was like, I'm like, you guys are, you guys are like wanting compliments. Like you get 10 compliments and one, uh, one insult and the insult will ruin your day. And yeah. so the, the naive thing we do is like, we want praise, we want recognition, we want all these things. But the problem is when you do that and you give value and power to someone's opinion of you outside of you, even if it's good, what you do is you open up your mind. Now, if they turn around and say you're a piece of shit, you also feel like a piece of shit. So, so really the key here, and it's, it's very hard to do, but really the, the secret here is um, developing such level of self-control over what makes you feel things that no matter what anyone says, it doesn't even matter. Good or bad. Like if someone turned around like, Armin is a god. I'd be like, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> if they turn around like, Armin's a piece of shit. I hate this guy. He's the worst guy ever. I'd be like, yeah, thanks. 
Now, if I say, if someone's around, like, man, I see your videos. I'm so, I'm such a big fan. And I go, that means so much to me. Thank you so much. You, like, you made my day. You made my day. Well, what turn? What happens is that the next person turns around and goes, man, I fucking hate how you talk. I hate what you say. I don't even agree with you. You're a terrible person. Now I'm going to be like, why? Why do you say that? You know, and that's the problem. That emotional irregulation is your fault. It's because you value people's opinions. Like, I don't. I value people, but their opinions are shit. All of our opinions are shit because they're just opinions. Like, it doesn't hold any ground. Usually, it doesn't. You shouldn't even value my opinion. Like, if you're watching this, you shouldn't be like, if Armin says something, it is, it is done. I have to do it. No. Like, you should be like that with you, not with other people's opinions. Even my mentors, I, I, like, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'll get the information with them. I'm like, awesome. At the end of the day, though, it's what do I think about me? What do I think about what I should do that matters? I have I, There has been things that I didn't know how to solve. I went to my mentors and my coaches. They all told me to do something, and I did the exact opposite. Not because their opinions don't matter to me. I mean, that, that they're not important or valuable. They are. Like, they're, I have very few people in my life that I value their actual opinions because I believe it comes from a credible source. But even then, I still went and did what I felt was right in my stomach which is a show that like, I don't ever let somebody else determine what I do or what I feel or what I think. And that is the very, that's the whole nature of this book out in the devil, which is your ability to break free from drifting and a non drifter, someone who thinks for themselves in like shortest summary, a non drifter, someone who thinks for themselves. So you have to learn to think for yourself. And it's very uncomfortable to do because we were raised in a world where everybody else thinks for you. What you should do with your life, what you should think, what you should believe, what you should do, how you should show up, what you should wear, what you should make, what you should do within your job, how you should respond to problems, how you should respond to good things, who you should date, right? What you should think, who, which political party you should be a part of. All this bullshit, everyone else is thinking for us. Even the, the, the very essence of a government is, let me think for you. Democracy is the closest thing to independent thought, but it's also been corrupted. Because even a democracy, there's lobbyists, there's there's marketing, there's false information. So even still, they're trying to think for you. Whereas the the notion is that if you're a Democrat or you're a democracy, we all get to think together. It just doesn't work. Right? It's too many opinions. So the best thing you can do in your life, guys, is to, to create an environment, a safe space inside of yourself uh, to make sure you think on your terms. You do on your terms. You show up on your terms. And you don't let anything, uh, not that you don't learn. You can learn from others, but your decisions are based on what you want to do. And so, but that requires a level of self-awareness and, and integrity because you could also think the shittiest things are the right thing to do. And so you, you shouldn't get to a point of that kind of self-thinking until you genuinely have let go of all your bullshit yourself, which, which requires a level of self-honesty that's very uncomfortable. But you have to be very honest with yourself about how you are, what you've done, what you believe. If you sit down and think like, oh, like racism is a good thing, you know, like then you might be like, I'm going to independently think about this. No, no, no. That's bullshit. So, yes, yeah, so you, also, you also have to depend on your conscience, which most of us have fucked. You know, most of our conscience are filled with dirt and we don't know how to listen to it anymore. It's been it's been numbed. You know, so so it's like first you have to take ownership, make sure you're in a good place. So when you start to independently think, you know, your independent thoughts are based out of a source of goodness. Or else you're going to start spreading bullshit. A lot of a lot of a lot of shitty people have good intentions. Right. 
So that's why I'm not a guru yet because it's too much moving variables. I haven't figured it out. I'm just giving you my perspective on things. <laughs> I still, there's too many moving parts for me to be like, how do I make sure it all, it all aligns? And that's the beauty of it. Like, I'm not going to try to figure out nature. Nature is too complex. So I'm just going to learn how to live with it, live alongside of nature, live alongside your life. Just do the right thing as, as best as you can. Um, build your business off, off your own integrity, you know, and stop letting things yeah. affect you inside. Huge. That was a, that was a great, that was a great little, uh, little tidbit of information there. Wow. That was good stuff. Wow. Okay. Armin, you ready to close out the show? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, yeah, so thanks for, thanks for tuning in. If you guys were on clubhouse, appreciate you. Um, if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you like this video, uh, and you want more content like this, if you're on Facebook, let us know in the comments what you loved about this and your number one takeaways or what you hated about them. Open to hearing that as well. Um, but yeah, if you want your questions an- answered live on the show like we just did, then go to askarmy.com to me your questions there. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Every single Monday, we go live at 12 p.m. Eastern time or around that time. <laughs> depending on our technical difficulties due to stay at home work work uh, environment um but yeah we love you so much thanks for tuning into this very special virtual version of clear talk we'll see you next time go on and make the rest of your week the best of your week <laughs>